Welcome to the podcast filled with his love, the only podcast that draws upon both religion and psychology to help you strengthen your attachment relationships. Here's your host, Dr. Russ Osgothorpe, Emeritus Professor of Instructional Psychology and Technology, author and speaker. His latest book entitled Filled with His Love, Strengthening Our Attachment to God and to Others is available on Amazon now. When I was in high school, I loved going to the basketball games. I don't think I ever missed one. And often I would take my friend with me, whose name was Roy Hutt. Roy was blind. And so he and I and another one of my friends would go to these games together. Roy used a white walking cane to get around, but he really preferred to have me put my hand on his shoulder to help him whenever he was navigating to a new place. He loved attending the games, even though he could not see the players. The noise, the excitement, the drama of it all just captured him. After one very hard-fought game with a crosstown rival, we were exiting the gym with Roy, my friend and I, when I noticed a group of guys from the school we had just defeated. They seemed to be stalking us. I didn't think much about it until we were about to get into my black Volkswagen Beetle. Now, you need to remember that a VW Beetle's engine is in the rear of the car, and so the front end of the car is much lighter than other cars. So just as we were getting in the car, and Roy was squeezing into the back seat, these guys grabbed hold of the front bumper and kept trying to lift it off the ground. They were trying to tip over our car while we were inside it. They were angry, and they had to take it out on somebody. They did not like losing that basketball game. Now, neither my friend nor I wanted to pick a fight with them, so we stayed in the car with Roy in the back, and for a moment I thought they might succeed in toppling us over. Roy was too afraid to say anything, but he knew exactly what was happening. I could tell. He always seemed to know what was going on, even though he could not see it with his eyes. So I started the engine and pretended that I was trying to run them down. They began to back off slightly. Then they let go of our car, still yelling at us. Words I will not repeat. But we got off safely. Those guys from the other team had to find a way to release their anger, their revenge for losing the game to our school. It was kind of like, you know, the old Sharks and the Jets in West Side Story, two gangs who were taught to hate each other simply because of their affiliation with each other. Except we did not hate them. We did not even know them. We were just the target of their fury. My experience that night was a microcosmic example of the vengeance that fuels so much conflict and suffering in the world. One nation against another, one religion against another, one race against another. The notifications we receive about, quote, breaking news usually contain some reference to vengeful acts. In the legal system, we have a name for it, hate crimes. So many crimes are committed out of vengeance, hate, or anger. In our last episode on this podcast, we talked about the importance of letting love be our motive all the time, every day, in every act. 
The opposite approach to this is allowing hate to drive our actions. Somehow, motives underlie the quality of every relationship we forge. Pure motives lead to beautiful relationships. Impure motives destroy relationships. Thomas Dreyer, an American writer and business executive, once said, It is better to give love. Hatred is a low and degrading emotion and so poisonous that no man is strong enough to use it safely. The hatred we think we are directing against some person or thing or a system has a devilish way of turning back upon us. When we seek revenge, we administer slow poison to ourselves. When we administer affection, it is astonishing what magical results we obtain. I love that quote. I once knew a young man who called me late at night to tell me how much he hated his father. I let him get all the anger out. He went on for some time. He went on and on, detailing all of the evil acts his father had inflicted on him. When he finally began to wind down, I said, I agree with you. Your father has done things that no one should ever do to another person. He has hurt you in unspeakable ways. But you can't go through the rest of your life hating your father. You can't keep thinking of ways to get back at him for the bad things he's done to you. My young friend finally settled down, but the wounds he had experienced as a young boy had not yet healed. He needed more help than I could give him during one conversation, and he agreed to get that help. As Dreyer said, the hate and vengeance my friend felt was like poison to his soul. The more he focused on it, the more poisonous it became. And so it is with any of us who have wounds in our past that need healing. I once knew a woman whose husband left her. The divorce was a destructive experience for both of them. But what happened after the divorce was even worse. The woman not only developed hate toward her unfaithful husband, but toward all men. And I mean all men. She generalized her negative feelings to the whole male gender. And women are not the only ones who decide to go it alone following divorce. There is also an MGTOW movement, believe it or not, called Men Going Their Own Way. It's a male separatist movement for men who want nothing more to do with women, any women. They generalize their anger toward the entire female gender, just like that woman did toward the entire male gender. It's back to the sharks and the jets again, I'm afraid. One gang against another. So hate leads to all kinds of poisonous behavior, and none of it leads to healthy relationships. So what is the answer? The end scenes of the Book of Mormon show in graphic detail the ultimate consequences of hate and vengeance. The Nephites against the Lamanites. One bloody battle after another, until an entire people is destroyed. And how does deity respond to all of this carnage? This is the astonishing thing. No matter how depraved their behavior becomes, no matter how vicious they get, no matter how many murders they commit, God still invites them to repent, to put down their swords, to stop hating one another, and let love prevail. 
To me, this has always been one of the most amazing responses from God in all of Scripture. God recognizes all of the evil that is going on, and he makes it clear to his prophets and to the people that they should cease and desist immediately. But then he always goes on to say, quote, For I know that they must perish, except they repent and return unto me. There is always a way out, always a way to stop killing and start loving one another. But they must want to do it. They must repent. The Book of Mormon is an extremely effective handbook for developing healthy attachment relationships. Let me say that one more time, because you probably haven't thought of the Book of Mormon this way, but the Book of Mormon is a tremendously effective handbook for developing healthy attachment relationships. Earlier in the book, we learn how the Lamanites were converted and how they began to love the Nephites they once hated. We also learn how the Nephites came to love and even protect them once their former enemies learned the gospel and began to live it. So my young friend, who detailed all of the evil acts of his father, needed to change, just as the Lamanites needed to give up their hate and anger. We talk about how a relationship can become toxic. Well, the Book of Mormon documents toxicity all through the book. But it also shows how people can change. How hate can literally be turned into love. Think of it. This emotion of hate, this denigration, this distaste for this other people can actually be turned into love. Male separatist or female separatist movements are not really different from all of the separatist movements we have witnessed throughout history. Racial unrest, religious bigotry, sexism, you name it, they're all the same. And they all lead to eventual destruction, as shown in the book of Moroni. I like to envision the anti-Nephi-Lehites as they replaced hate with love. Their example should prompt us all to get rid of any vengeance, any hate that we might harbor. To me, their transformation as a people is one of the greatest miracles ever recorded. They buried their swords and would rather die than ever kill again. In some astounding way, they developed a feeling for the sanctity of life. And it is clear from the scriptural account that this feeling for the sanctity of life extended far beyond the act of murder. It is possible to avoid killing someone and still not love them. But those good people came to love their former enemies. And that is literally why the Savior came to earth. Love your enemies, he said. Do good to them that curse you. It is never enough to avoid hurting someone. The gospel of Jesus Christ asks much more of us than that. We need to do more than simply tolerate others. We need to love them. These principles apply to all attachment relationships within our family, our circle of friends, and with God. Learning to love those who are like us is much easier than learning to love those who are different. But the gospel compels us to love everyone even those who seem to have nothing in common with us, even those who look down on us or resent us or mock us. We're still supposed to love one another 
as the Savior loves us. Life is sacred, and so is the love that binds us together. So I hope if you struggle in any way with wounds from the past that have not been healed, or if you know someone who struggles, I hope you will find a way to move toward healing and wholeness. As the words of our song say, I will give myself to him, my heart, my will, my soul. I will always sing redeeming love, the song that makes me whole. Thank you.